Well, good morning. Um, this is a pretty well-known episode from Jesus' life. Um, Jesus is traveling. It's probably hot, and he's tired and thirsty. So he goes to this well. We're in Samaria, and there's a woman there. Um, John gives us a little bit of a hint, but he doesn't fully explain what's going on. Um, Jesus shouldn't really be engaging with this woman, culturally speaking, for a couple of reasons. Uh, the first being that she's a woman, and she's unaccompanied. So think, like, even in the modern day, some, uh, some very uh, traditional cultures might frown upon that. Uh, but even more so, she's a Samaritan and he's Jewish. Uh, Jewish people and Samaritans in the first century are like oil and water. They do not mix. They hate each other. And uh, for good reason, sort of. Uh, and realistically, there aren't... Um, nobody's right in this scenario. It's not like the Samaritans just decide that they're going to be awful to all Jewish people and so the Jews don't like them. Um, they kind of were terrible to everybody or to each other. You know, what is that that old song from the 60s, nobody right is right if everyone is wrong. Um and uh, Jewish and Samaritan relations would occasionally break down to the point of violence. Um, Samaritans would, uh, apparently, uh, according to record, would actually interfere with a couple of different things that would happen in the temple in Jerusalem, which is hugely bad. Um, but the, the, the core of their disagreement really comes down to where God is. And you can see that come out with the exchange that Jesus and this woman has. Because uh, Samaritans would believe that, that you had to worship God on, um, uh, on the, uh, the <laughs> I can't even believe, it's the, I hate daylight savings time so much. <laughs> ah, Mount Gerizim. <laughs> Duh. Um, they, they actually had a temple on Mount Gerizim which is for them where God was. If you were Jewish, God was on, uh, in the temple on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. And this is not like a modern day, well, I go to this church and she goes to that church, uh, but, you know, we're still Christians or something like that. That's not really how this works. There, there isn't a good analogy because for them, it, this was a fundamental difference. You, you couldn't really reconcile it, even though they had the same, very similar anyway, history. They, they had a similar-ish Bible to an extent and all of that. Um, so anyway, Jesus actually has the audacity to ask this woman for some water. As a Jewish man who's observant, you don't do that. Again, she's uh, an unaccompanied woman, and she's Samaritan. He runs the risk of even becoming unclean through all of this. And uh, she, she, of course, is shocked. And then Jesus takes the conversation a little deeper. He starts talking about, like, well, if you knew who was here, you'd ask me for some water, and you would have living water, and you'd be never thirsty again. 
Uh, she seems to miss it that first time because if somebody started saying that to one of us, hopefully we would pause and go, are we still talking about water? I feel like the conversation just shifted in a different direction. But she seems to miss it that first time. And so Jesus tees up the, the conversation a little bit to take it even deeper when he says, uh, because she wants this water, but she just thinks it's water. And he says, great, go, find, go, go, go grab your husband and bring him here. That's probably like a, a traditional cultural thing. Um, like you, you, you teach the husband who would then like teach the, his wife. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's how they did that. So let's be very clear on that. And Jesus seems to be aware that, that, that's, that this is now an awkward conversation. Because she says, well, I'm not married. And Jesus says, I know, you've been married five times. And the one you're with isn't your husband. There has been a lot of ink spilled and sermons preached and all kinds of things uh, done that now at this point condemn this woman. And I'm here to tell you that that is all a lot of assumption with probably not a lot to back it up. One of the, the big mistakes that we make is that we assume that a first century Samaritan woman would have the agency to make some of those decisions. Now, she's, uh, we, we kind of get a sense that she's not innocent because a little bit later, not in this reading, she says to the I don't know, other people in her village, he's told me everything I've done that could indicate that there's some kind of skeletons in the closet. But the reality is that if you are a first century woman, you don't have a lot of agency to choose who you marry. You don't have the agency to choose to divorce. So at the very least, this is a picture of somebody who's probably not innocent, but realistically has been kicked around a lot. And within the way that that culture works, the shame is still on her, even though it's not fair. Now, she responds perfectly, shall we say to Jesus indicating that he knows kind of what's up, what's kind of going on in her life. We're going to come back to that moment in a little bit. But she, when, when Jesus seems to like look right through her, she then says, hey, you're a prophet, aren't you? Smart. One of the themes in the Gospels, at least in Luke and John, are that people who should not get it, do. So, she sits here with, a, with somebody who apparently is a prophet, and she's like, well, I have some theological questions to ask you. <laughs> Which is sometimes why I don't tell people I'm a pastor when I'm on an airplane or something like that. <laughs> because, man, <laughs> just let me sleep. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that's a different, that's my own problem. Um, 
she then taps into that long-running, centuries-running debate about where God is. Because she's, she's like, oh, he's a prophet. Okay, so our people say that God is to be worshipped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim. But you Jews say that God should be worshipped in Jerusalem. The implication there is, come on, pony up with the information. Who's right? And Jesus' response is that the day is coming and is now here, which is kind of like a Hebraism, I think, uh, when the true worshipers of the Father will worship in the Spirit and truth. Now, again, plenty of sermons have been preached about what it really means to worship like in spirit and truth, and unfortunately, a lot of them kind of miss the point. If you were here last week, I talked for just a moment about a very weird um, grammatical construction called a hendiadus. If you don't remember it, congratulations, you are normal. Um, but it's a way of coupling two concepts and equating them. So last week, it was a baptized with water and the Spirit, which we said, in a better way to translate that would be to say, which, uh, baptized with water, which is the Spirit. It's the same grammar right here. So think about how this changes some things. Uh, Jesus says, um, the true worshipers of God will worship, the, or of the Father, will worship the Father in spirit, which is the true way. In other words, the old disagreements are now irrelevant because the Messiah has come. Which means also that like that age-old question, like this is one of the fundamental questions of all humanity, which is where is God? has now been answered in this surprising new way. You want to know where God is? Go to Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, when we use the word God, we mean that which is revealed by Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So... If we back that, well, first off, that means that this woman, who's been kind of kicked around a lot, becomes privy to information or teaching or knowledge or whatever you want to say that basically nobody else at this time has. I would argue that that is a place of very special honor. Which is weird for a Samaritan woman, if you are Jewish. Jesus loves to tear those barriers down. But if you go back, there was that moment when Jesus says, you know, go call your husband. And she's like, uh, I'm not married. Um, and Jesus reveals that he knows a point about the place in her life that is filled with immense shame. Again, a lot of this has been done to her. She probably has some culpability in it. We just don't know how much. 
But I want to ask you, when you encounter something or someone that reveals a place in your life that is filled with immense shame, how do you react? Now, I don't mean how do you react or respond when somebody is just being extraordinarily aggressive or mean and is trying to actively shame you. That's maybe related, but that's kind of a different thing. I mean, what happens when you run up to a place in your life, a a blind spot, uh, a place in your life where you maybe don't have a ton of control, um, uh, something that reveals some dark and painful things about where you've been and where you come from? How do you react? Because the natural human inclination is to explain it away or to defend it. Um, This is the, yeah, but it's not that bad. Or come on, that that was, uh, you don't know what you're talking about. It's not what it looks like. Or please, come on, if you were in my position, you would have made the same decision. It's that stuff that we really don't want somebody to know about. The, the things that we think about that if it was broadcast would be extraordinarily shameful or embarrassing. Things that, like in our lives, like we don't have a ton of control over, though we wish we did. Uh, mistakes that we've made that continue to maybe play out or they still hurt. We still can't believe we did that. That all speaks to our shame. Interestingly enough, this woman doesn't react. She sees through it. There's something about the presence of Jesus that melts whatever defensive barriers or reactive tendencies or whatever else she's built up. There's something about Jesus whose gracious presence just kind of cuts through that. See, I I think like when we are confronted with either internally or through circumstances or through somebody calling it out but maybe in a gracious way, um, the reason why shame hurts so much is that I think we find ourselves asking, yeah, I guess, what if that's all true? What if I am, in fact, a screw-up? What if I can't control my addiction? What if I made that and those series of mistakes when I was younger, and that's, I still carry that, and what if, I made those mistakes because that's the kind of person I am. That's a really, really scary thought. But shame asks the question, 
what if that's true about you and me? Jesus, in revealing to this woman what he knows, cuts through that. And when their conversation turns to where is God, seems to be offering her a different way. Now, it wasn't in our reading, but immediately after this, she runs to the village and she's like, there's a prophet here, you know, big news, you know, kind of bang the pot, like get everyone out here. There's somebody special here. And he's told me everything, he knows it all. And it's this is small town Samaria. Everybody knows everything about everybody. And she's excited about this. I think the only explanation I can come up with for why she would be excited about this is that Jesus knows why she might feel shame. And yet he's here to tell her that because God is now here, that shame is a lie. It's no longer true. It doesn't define her. Her being kicked around, passed around for whatever reason, doesn't matter. Because it's a new era. When if you want to know where God is, God is here. God is in Jesus. Jesus is in God. Jesus is redefining who his people are. He's the one that takes on the shame. He takes on the humanity. He takes on the mortality. He takes on the torture and the death. He bears the burden of the shame and the sin and every other reason why we might feel really, really awkward if suddenly everybody knew about that thing in your life and mine. He takes that on his own shoulders. which means that the shame and the guilt and the, the awkwardness and the things that we try to convince ourselves are, are no longer there. Like He takes all of that away because it no longer defines who we are. Instead, we are defined by the one who dies and the one who is raised from the dead. This Jesus, who at the moment is sitting at this well having kind of an awkward and weird conversation with this woman, who in short order will go to Jerusalem, the holy city where God is supposed to be present. He will die the death that we deserve. And then he will defeat death and inaugurate a new era of humanity where shame does not define or dictate who we are. We as his followers live in that era now. We've been given that new name in our baptism when we become marked and defined by the Holy Spirit. And so when that shame and that guilt and that, all the weird stuff that we'd rather just not admit about ourselves comes up. We can acknowledge it's truth. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, that's an issue. Yeah, that's, that's sometimes where I'm at. But it is a lie to say who I, that that is who I am. 
because I am in Jesus, the one who gave himself for me. Amen.